Scarves Around the Funnel, brought to you by Forrest Hepburn and McDonald Signs. Getting noticed isn't always easy, because there's so much noise! But at Forrest Hepburn and McDonald, we make it easy. With standout signs, business cards, shop fronts, banners, leaflets, vehicle graphics, the lot. Showcasing your products, advertising your brand, and getting business noticed. So, what can we do for you? Forrest Hepburn and McDonald, creative sign and print solutions since the 1950s. Visit fhmcdsigns.co.uk. to Andy Kirk through ball to Mark De Vries a chance for Haas De Vries round the keeper and that's the minute Mark De Vries 2-2 Hello and welcome to Scarves Around the Funnel the podcast dedicated to Heart of Midlothian Football Club now, Eminem once managed to rap over 480 words in a staggering 83 seconds. And that was the time it took Hearts to lose themselves a 2-0 Derby lead. On this week's episode, Ooh. we'll clean out the closet of our deep hearts frustrations after the weekend's Derby. Now, his name is what? I am Laurie Dunsire, but will the real Mark Donaldson please stand up? Could you do this podcast without me? <laughs> what are we, are we about to find out? Well, a couple of things. A, you were right about one thing before the microphones were turned live. That Yeah, that was a disastrous opening. And two, um, the Eminem Show album of 2002 included that song as well. So all we need now is Scott McIntosh for the trifecta with an Eminem song in his intro. Hello, Scott. Hi, guys. Uh, are we going to keep going with this every week when I'm just going like, to awkwardly really just introduce not. myself? Can I, I tell you what, I'll fill this sort of bit of time, this normal dead air that I normally bring to the start of the proceedings with a bit of a story. Ooh. So on Saturday, I was in the, the 1870s. To do with Eminem? Bar. <laughs> 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 uh, on Saturday, I was in the 1874 bar and uh, a few people happened to mention that I am absolutely useless at this part of the show. Uh, the only bit of advice I got from some of my mates was that I should let Mark sort of go into his usual sort of diatribe and sort of <laughs> go into Tangent Valley and then respond with a snoring noise at the end of it. That was the only bit of advice I was it's given. So, so yeah, I've, I've been dreading this since Saturday. <laughs> uh, but I'll say hi to everyone that was uh, very nice to me at, uh, at Saturday before the match. And I should say that I do not give either of these guys any opportunity to have a clue in what direction the nonsense I start with is going to go. Which I like, um, and I also like the fact you never tell us what your song is. And your your song choices at the end, on I would say 95% of them have been really, really good. But a lot of your intros recently have been pish. Well, whatever. Well, I was just going to say, at least Scott didn't just stand there and watch us burn it. Um that's enough. Come on. Okay. Tumble. We're going to do this for an hour and not talk about uh, Tuna <laughs> lead and then the No, wait. We, we of course, have to talk about Heart of Midlothian 
against Hibernian in, in the first Edinburgh derby of the new season. We are going to revisit our sliding doors moments as well. Can we, we, don't can we put the two of them together? We're, we're doing a lot. If only Toby Subic hadn't fucked up twice. Yeah. We combine the two together today. I, I suppose so, yes. If, if only that 83 seconds did not take place and we would be celebrating a derby win and it would be all positive rather than we will have some positives though but no we're going to revisit the sliding doors which was a homework question recently we didn't get a chance to get into it uh, because we had such a busy episode after we put it out there but i've put it on twitter and we've had a think about it as well so we're going to talk about some moments so the moments the what if moments you know if something had gone differently in a hearts game or a signing or something that had happened differently and, and how would history have changed if if that moment had gone a different way. So we'll get to that later on, but we will, of course, focus on Hearts Hibs and anything else that may come up. Any, what you know, what you call it when you go to a conference or a meeting, any housekeeping at the start? I'm trying to think if there's any, been any other big news. Yes, that we yes, the, the, yes. The, the, big, the big news this week, sir, permission to speak? Perm- per- permission granted, yes. Thank you, freely. thank you. The, the big news this week is that um, there shall be no more rustling of sweeties when Scott McIntosh talks. Yep, there was definitely no rustling there. Nope, nope. No you sorted it. You, you finally sorted it, Scott. No more little... When you talk. Yeah, a bit of loose connection in the earphones that I've been using the last few weeks, I think. We, we sort of discovered that about halfway through last week's recording, didn't we? What did someone yeah. say? Someone likened it to oh god, where is it? What um God, I wish I could find it now. It amused me, the comparison, and I should have had it in front of me. Because I'm gonna have to like scroll through Twitter to see what someone messaged. Oh, I said it said someone said like you you're doing something with a measuring tape. <laughs> and I was trying to imagine what you'd be doing during a podcast with a measuring tape. <laughs> Next week's homework. No, we, we won't. No, definitely not. We won't so you play that sting that goes. Whoosh. Yeah. Okay. We'll play that and we'll get on with it. <laughs> right. Okay. Uh, you're listening to Scarves Down the Funnel, sponsored by Forrest Hepburn and McDonald Signs, who have been offering creative sign and print solutions since the 1950s. Let's get cracking with the Edinburgh Derby. We'll have a quick listen back. Quick. A click. A quick. Just let's listen back and get on with it. Come on. Breaks to Alex Lowry now, right at the box. Gets away from one man, but Hibbs get it clear. Now with Cammy Devlin. Steps away from Yuan. Poor pass though, cut out by Boyle. And now Hearts have it back, but it's three corners from the right. Yep. Every single yep. one. Yep. I, I mean, I, yep. I guess they must be looking for something at that near post, but it's certainly not coming off. But here's Forrest out, left foot shot to the... Oh! My goodness me! What a strike! Incredible finish from Alan Forrest, his second in as many games! On his left foot, it just flew into the top left corner! His first goal in the Edinburgh Derby! And what a way to get it! Hearts ahead! Alan Forrest, take about! Back with Lowry again. Drives into the area, low into the box, deflected across and in! Alex Lowry celebrates! I'm not sure who got the final touch, but the ball spins into the right side of the goal! And Hearts double their lead! Headed clear by Civic. 
Benny Beningham, he can't get it clear cleanly. Hibbs get it back into the box. It might break here to Yuan, who lashes it in. Hibbs have a goal back. It fell kindly to Eli Yuan, but no mistake with the finish at all there. And with 24 minutes left, it's game on at Tynecastle. There's the goal scorer for Hibbs, Yuan. Looks for Boyle on the right. Low into the area, cleared by Civic. Straight back to Yuan, shot and it's level. It's a quick-fire double for Hibernian. It's pure defending for Hearts. And Yuan slides the ball into the bottom corner. And it's Hearts 2, Hibs 2. Right, Heart of Midlothian against Hibernian. As I mentioned last time, the team with the best defensive record in the Premiership against the side, with the joint second-best scoring record. Hibs unbeaten in five games. Hearts with three wins in their last four going into this one. But Hearts on a a run against Hibs bar, maybe say the last two, that was quite strong in terms of just the one defeat in the last 11. They'd been on that nine-game unbeaten run in the Derby until the 1-0 loss in Stephen Naismith's first game in charge, looking to get the better of Hibs in the first capital clash of the new season. Let's start with team news. Now... Hearts did win against County last time out, starting with a three, but maybe it wasn't a huge surprise that in this game at home, Hearts decided to go back to the 4-2-3-1 formation that has been favoured by Stephen Naismith. Three changes from County, Afaya, Denham and Grant dropping out, Devlin returning, Lowry and Forrest also in. So Hearts with Clark and goals, Sibick right back for this, Kingsley left, Kent and Rolls in the centre. Devlin and Ewenhoff sitting. Forrest, Lowry, Vargas is supporting three with Lowry in the 10 and Lauren Shankland up front. So first up, Mark, you know, you win a game and you go to the next game, you change shape and you make three changes. Maybe on the face of it, some might think, why would you do that? But I think this did make sense in terms of how we ended that county game, the fact that Devlin was available again and the fact that Lowry and Forrest combined for the goal in that match. I, I don't think there would be too many grumbles, would there, about how we set up for this match? No, I don't think so. And and I think the three of us all had a fair idea that this might happen. That's why we had the, the conversation and the discussion last week. And Scott felt it would go back to reverting to Stephen Naismith's preferred formation. And, and he was spot on. As far as the team selection is concerned, I promised I'm not going to get ahead of myself this week. So I'm just going to talk about what I'm actually asked. I'm going to behave myself. Wow. Once. Yeah, yeah. Um, Devlin and Neuenhoff. Um, as the the kind of holders, I'm not a fan of of Haring and Devlin together, but I liked Devlin and Newenhoff together. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alan Forrest, yeah, I mean he, you've got to you've if you've got players that are desperate to get a chance, and when they do get a chance, like Forrest and um, and Lowry had at Ross County, and then they take the chance, then then reward them if there's an opportunity to. If there, it's not like if they're bringing somebody on to replace someone that's done really well, then it becomes hard to take out the ones that have done well. But I think, yeah, I like the shape, good balance. And Civic chosen ahead of a fire, um, which I agree with. I think he's I think he's a better right back than Ophaya. I'm I'm starting to see I mean I, I know with Ophaya I saw little bits of highlights he played against West Brom. I think it was in the FA Cup as a right wing back. Both you and Scott have spoken over the past couple of weeks. Uh, he is limited when it comes to getting forward. I think Civic's a better option from right back. He can defend, he's tall, and he can get forward. So, yeah, pretty happy with the team selection. Well, in terms of the side, they were up against 4-4-2 of Hebs. What it obviously did give Hearts was 
uh, an extra man in the middle. And I think that given the platform to control things, especially in that first half, um, I, I know I, I have to say from you know the last episode, I still I didn't think he would keep the three, but I said I I felt like maybe that's a good option for us in terms of getting the most out of like Civic in the right centre back role, roles playing in a back three rather than a back two. But I have to say, I thought it was working really well in terms of the defensive shape and the overall structure. So I think you have got to give credit, don't you, to how we set up and how we played, especially in the early stages of the game. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and and I think the, the good thing was is that, you know, there was no real surprises from Hibs in terms of their, their setup or their shape. Mm-hmm. I think there was maybe a couple of changes uh, in terms of personnel that were a bit surprising. They brought Hanlon and Stevenson back into their first 11 just last week against Dundee. And half of me thought, well, that surely must be with an eye on the derby. So to see a beat and the Sheary starting was certainly a, a bit of a surprise. Um, a pleasant one, if I'm going to be completely honest, especially considering how much of the game we tended to sort of target down that right-hand side during the, the first sort of 40 to 45 minutes. But yeah, we, we pressed really well uh, from the from the front to the back. And, you know, without being too cavalier, naturally, because of the threat that Hibs pose up front, we can't really go into these fixtures with a, with a high line, so to speak. But I felt that, you know, the midfield, particularly Devlin, was doing a great job. He's sort of making sure that he was not only helping Neuenhoff in that that sort of holding position, but also offering support to Shanklin and Lowry in terms of sort of trying to uh, trying to sort of shut Hibs down whenever they were trying to play short from the back, which was predominantly most of the time. Yeah, I think you know you look at you look at these games, and we've spoken before about you know maybe frustrations when certain managers have you know, played to the opponents rather than to their own strengths, and have over been overthinking the game. I mean, if you look at how Nick Montgomery and Hibbs set up, Mark, you know, as Scott rightly says, in terms of the shape, not too much surprises, but some changes in the team and maybe not just at the back, but the fact that they played Christian Dodge, which surprised a few. And I know that Adam Lafondre, as he says he's called, which I would not however called him until recently, um, has been a really good link-up player up front with, with Vente and that's helped them when they're trying to play out from the back. They're kind of link man and between midfield and attack dropping in at times, but they played Dodge, and I don't know if this is a case of, it's probably partly the conditions, because obviously it was a very wet afternoon, maybe not the easiest sometimes to play um, out from the back if the conditions aren't great, but it was, I think it was a lot to do with Hearts, so Hibs try and play possession football under Montgomery, play out from the back, not go long, but they went very direct to Dodge repeatedly, mm-hmm. and I think you've got to credit Hearts for the fact that they were forcing them in to long balls. I thought Hearts played better against Hibernian without winning than they did when they won at Ross County. I just thought a lot of things worked. Um, the pressing that, that Scott was talking about. And I thought Ryan gave a very good summation of, of what Nick Montgomery does with, with Hibernian and that at times he does have the two strikers actually as link-up players that allows the width of Yuan and, and Boyle yeah. to get forward. But you saw a switch for Hibs, and that switch took place between Yuan and Boyle because it wasn't working. And Boyle wasn't providing enough defensive cover to, to his fullback. And Stephen Naismith had an idea that that was going to happen. And he tried to capitalise upon that. And yeah, I, I thought on the whole, 
you can't just say we were undone by by two stupid goals in eighty three in eighty three seconds. That's that's part and parcel of the game. This isn't a kumbaya. This isn't a a huge criticism. I, I said to Scott just before we came on air, I, I'm not really sure how to approach it this weekend, and it'll be probably more reactive than than proactive with the comments because. I honestly thought, I mean, I thought the fans were great. I thought it was a proper Edinburgh Derby atmosphere with Jimmy Sanderson at his best, talking about a greasy surface 413 times in the first 20 minutes. And it was just, it, everything was, was set up. But I thought, I thought we got our tactics right, certainly in the first half. Um, although I was slightly concerned when there was a prolonged VAR check. But as far as the tactics are concerned, yeah, I, I, I thought we started off well and I thought we contained their threats very well indeed. Yeah, it was like a controlled first half, like I said. We weren't creating lots of big chances, but I think we had a grip of the game in the middle. We were That's looking fair, like yeah. the more yeah. threatening side and it was going to take maybe something special or an error to to break the deadlock and you know, thankfully it was the former 28th minute Hibs pegged back quite deep it's Frankie Kent who plays the ball out wide to Alan Forrest who's hugging the touchline he drifts inside and lets an absolute howitzer of a strike uh, fly towards goal from his left foot and into the top corner, second goal in as many weeks, I, I, I mean Scott where does this rank in terms of Derby goals because it was such a clean hit on his weaker side and it, I think it's something so well deserved to a player that many people have written off, and I myself on here have talked about so many times that you know a squad player probably not good enough to start for us, but a decent player to have around as an option off the bench, etc. But in recent weeks, he's maybe put himself in the in line to be far more than that for us. Yeah, I mean, all, all credit to him. I think even I actually mentioned tail end of last season, start of this season, that there was times where I would watch him and it looked almost as if the, the sort of weight he playing in that jersey was was just sort of weighing him down and drowning him at times. Uh, but he's really come onto a game. He's he's been really productive the last sort of five or six games. You know, there's been a few sub appearances in there, but he's been very direct and he's been very positive, even although not everything comes off for him. Uh, and it was a great strike on Saturday. I mean, from a Hibs point of view, you would probably say to your fullback, show him down the line and just deal with the cross when it comes in. Uh, but you can't take anything away from the strike itself. It's it's a bit of a shame that the result has has probably marred that strike in terms of it's maybe not a goal that people will straight away sort of think of in years to come when it comes yeah. to discussing sort of great sort of Edinburgh Derby strikes because it resulted in a draw. I think the the one that you could probably compare it to would probably be Arnold Jooms back in 2016, where it's like it's a great individual moment, but because of what happened for the remainder of the game, it's certainly not probably a goal that people tend to sort of bring up in conversation. Uh, so that's that's a bit of a shame. But for him personally, you know, hopefully he can take that form sort of any future games because I think it's fair to say we're not getting much out of Vargas and Shanklin so anything we can get in that final third from other individuals is is going to be beneficial So Hearts in front and as I meant as I mentioned seemingly in control again you know the first half it wasn't a case of peppering David Marshall's goal with chance after chance it was a terrific effort 
from Alex Lowry that hit the post before they went ahead. Alex Lowry, who we will get to as well. Um, but, uh, but Mark, I'm going to talk about another moment here. So 42nd minute late in the first half, uh, Dylan Vente, the new hip striker, gets into the Hearts box on the angle. It's a shot towards goal. Stephen Kingsley throws himself in front of it as he does so clearly. Pulls his groin, I think it looks into at, at the time. It's definitely some kind of injury anyway. Drags himself to his feet, heads away a second cross. Um, in the end, play goes on. Hibs are still attacking. Then Hearts have an attack. Then Hibs come back forward again. It comes back to the Hearts defence. Stephen Kingsley actually has to kick the ball out himself to eventually get play stopped to, to get some treatment. And he goes off. So, I mean, first up, I suppose, Mark, the Kingsley himself, it's a real shame, isn't it? Because he, mm. he has looked much more like himself this season. I think he's been great. He was, again, I thought he was really good on Saturday, getting up and down that left-hand side. Ironically, not actually as much so as the less natural wing-back or full-back on the other side, Civic, but very effectively. And I think you've got to credit him here, not just because he throws himself in front of a block, but his instinct, which I think medically you probably wouldn't advise, um, is not to stay down and to writhe about like players often do even when they're not hurt, it's to get back up, it's to head the next one away, it's to get back up again and try and get in front of another shot. You know, I think I said during commentary, the the phrase, um, putting your body on the line gets banded about a little bit too much in football, oh, just when you like, you stick a foot out and block it. But I think it we would be deserved in this occasion. I think, although the medical staff will say it was, it was silly of him, I think from a fan's perspective, you, you see that desire, I think it is a positive and Probably does sum, sum Stephen Kingsley up. I thought the block was was outstanding. The other thing you've got to be careful of as a defender is if you are down and it's not a head injury, the referee's not obliged to stop the play, and you could be playing everybody on side. So that could be another issue depending on the on the circumstance. Hopefully, we get the opportunity to discuss the substitution and and, and the the subsequent changes. After Kingsley went off, but that yeah, was, well, well, yeah, that was my that was my next thing. I just want you know. Give Kingsley some credit for oh, without, without, for his without, game without. and and obviously yeah. doing uh, what he did, but I, but I think the yeah the substitution is going to be we're, we'll talk about another substitution as well, of course. But this one, so I I said during the during commentary and you know get loads of things wrong. When we said but I said during commentary, I was like, so a fire's coming on. I was like, what we're we going to do here? Are we going to put? him to left back and I said putting someone on into left back to me made most sense because you've got a right back who's been playing very well in his right back position you've got a central defensive partnership who have actually been doing very very well recently after a shaky start to the season for roles both playing well in their natural positions so you're then just putting one new person in so you're putting maybe it's not their most comfortable position but you've only got one of that back four are uncomfortable because although Sibic's maybe not always playing right back. That's where he was doing well. The reason, and I think I actually watched back the commentary clip, I was like, what did I say again? It's like I said, he could move roles to left back, but if he does that, he has to shift every position. So I don't think he'll do that. I thought you summed up very well. Yeah, I thought thought you summed up very well because you gave the two options. You gave a straight swap or you gave the everyone moves along. Before we get to that, I can let you in on some good news. Alex Cochran is ahead of schedule in his mm-hmm. um, recovery, and the likelihood is he should, if everything goes well, he should be available for selection. 
um, when Hearts take on Celtic after the international so he'll be break. Available for his red card against Celtic. Okay, of course. Good. So, who do we bring in when he gets suspended after his Celtic red card? <laughs> well, to go to Ibrox, Andy Thorne. Let <laughs> 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 me play Sorry. Gary Naismith, seventeen-year-old Gary Naismith as well. Yeah. So, Cochrane. I don't think we're going to need to have this issue. Hopefully not. It should be Cochrane straight back after the international break. I don't know yet. Um, reading the comments from Stephen Naismith on the Hearts website about um, how long Kingsley might be out for, and there's, they're waiting on a couple of uh, a couple of results to get back. Um, yeah. So, so. Um, what did what did we end up with? Okay, we we ended up with Ophaya at right back, Rolls at left back, and to be honest, I thought there was a couple of times Rolls Rolls went forward. I thought, wow, okay, that's decent. Um, but then to, right at the end of the game, there was a couple of times he gave the ball away and it set up his attacks. I'm like, oh my, you've pretty much undone all your your good work if this ends up in a in a winning goal for Hibs. So yeah, it wasn't the end of the world, but there were, there were too many changes. And I know there's two substitutions that we're going to focus on in this episode. There's this one and there's the Alex Lowry change as well. We'll talk about that later. But but for this one, if we don't concede um, the two goals, and it's, it's, no one cares. We're not even talking about this. But because we do, and and I thought Sibic was was fine, was was no problem whatsoever at right back. But Mostly, when he went yeah. and... Oh, when he moved Sorry, his, I, no, right back, no, he was good. But I mean... He actually was, he was actually okay at centre back for a lot of it. But I guess the problem we've put him there, and you know, and I can't change what I've said before. I'd be like, I've advocated for him getting a chance at centre back, and I said when Rose wasn't playing um, at his best, I thought Sibic should be tried in there alongside Frankie Kent. And I guess Saturday would mm. be a big, well, not it's actually a small body of evidence, but there's some big reasons there why what I'd suggested before is not the way to go. Uh, Scott, I'm interested to get your opinion on this. So, you know, when this change has been made, if you were the one putting these players into position or making that substitution, what would you do? Would you have brought on a fire? Would you have, I guess the other option would have been Halliday. He's not played an awful lot, but he has covered left back previously. He's a natural left footer, even if it's not his best position. Uh, how would have you made this change and i know you know we've got the the wonderful or awful thing of hindsight here when we do it but what did you think of the substitution and how we rearranged the defense i've got quite a lot of sympathy for for stephen naismith in, in terms of the options that he had so what he has in front of him is a situation prior to the injury where going into the match we're already without three players who arguably would make up you know 75 percent of our, our back four if everyone was fit so you've got that you've got that issue first and foremost, and I think it is only fair to Naismith that you do take that into consideration when you when you analyse this swap. Now you've then got two individuals that I would say are more or less sort of persona non grata for two different reasons. So I don't think An Andy Halliday is someone who Stephen Naismith is particularly enamoured with and, and wants to play, wants to get involved. If you think of all the various options and problems we've had in central midfield this season, and now an option there where Cochrane's injured, Kingsley's injured, the most you know straightforward option would have been to have thrown Andrew Halliday in there so that you're not upsetting the rest of the back four. Which quick, is question, you... quick question, Scott, about that. And and I'm trying to think um, of the, the time frame. 
Had Boyle switched with Yuan at that stage and would therefore have been up against Halliday if he'd come on, had that taken place yeah. by then? Right. Boyle and Yuan switched after about 20, 25 minutes. It's quite, it was it's quite early on. Before, yeah. Right. So would you, would you want would you want Boyle up against Halliday? I don't I don't think so this is just again only Stephen Naismith knows, but I'm just gonna try and put myself into his situation. Christian Joyce is still in the park at that stage now. Do you put Halliday on there, which would then allow Hibbs to really focus on maybe having Dodge play out wide and go for long diagonals? Uh, or do you stick Rolls in there, still have a couple of physical presences in the centre, and then bring O'Fai on? So I don't know whether that's had a bit of a bearing, or if it's just been as simple as he doesn't trust Halliday and therefore he had to bring O'Fai in. Because I don't think he probably would have wanted to make that switch because we've commented on this before over the, the last few weeks that I don't think he particularly rates Civic as a centre-half as well, particularly in a back four, maybe right of a three, might be a bit different, but since that that game towards the tail end of last season at Ibrox, it's not a position that Toby Civic's mm-hmm. been asked to play very often, if at all. So this is where I've got a lot of sympathy for Naismith. I think, you know, there's a lot of... <laughs> A lot of bad luck that's that's leading up to him having to make this choice. And I think, you know, we'll we'll come on to discuss this a little bit more in terms of the other substitution. But ultimately individual errors cost us more than than I would say tactical switches or personnel switches. Hearts won, him still at half time. Hepburn and McDonald have been making creative sign and print solutions since the 1950s. For more, visit fhmcdsigns.co.uk Right, so second half, no changes for either side. Obviously, Hearts had made the one change late in the first period. And it wasn't a case of, you know, I was waiting to see if there would be a big reaction from Hibs at the start of the second half, and there wasn't really. Uh, you know, I think the game was a little bit more even. They were trying to play out and obviously maybe build something against Hearts rather than giving away possession repeatedly that they had done quite often in the first period. But Hearts still felt like they had quite a bit of control of this game, I thought, which maybe surprised me. I thought maybe it would open up quite a bit. Um, uh, the big moment, Early in the second half, well, 13 minutes into the second half, would double Hearts lead and send Tynecastle into delirium as Alex Lowry, who was a very bright spot for Hearts throughout the game, maybe corner kicks aside because this, <laughs> this goal comes from a corner that was cleared at the near post, which was a repeat occurrence. I'm pretty sure they were trying something from the training ground and it wasn't working. Um, but it came back to him and he just glides into the Hibs box and knocks it into the danger area. And it's Christian Dodge who is the unfortunate victim of the dangerous ball played in by Lowry as he flicks out a leg and it sort of spins back the way and into the right corner of the goal at the time, unaware of who it came off last. But like uh, the majority of the fans in Tidecastle, especially the Gorgie stand that was jumping joyously around, everyone celebrated. They didn't care who it came off last and hearts two to the good. Mark, Alex Lowry has, you know, we've seen some flashes of him. We've seen some games where he's not really impacted. I think one one thing is clear, you know, we, we ideally want him mainly playing in that number 10 role if we can. I know he comes in from out wide after the corner is cleared, but he showed just what he can do, didn't he, in terms of yeah. picking the ball up. 
finding space, finding passes, someone who you you want in the team in a game where you're going to get possession in dangerous areas and you want someone who can actually push us on to the next level and actually create chances. He's a match winner. He's a match winner either with goals, as we saw at Kilmarnock, or with vision, that he can see things that maybe others can't and set up players with assists for either chances or potential goals. So we go 2-0 up through Deutsch. Even then, you're thinking, okay, do you want to sit on this lead and protect it? Or do you want to do like-for-like changes that could still protect it, but still offer you an opportunity to be creative and not change your shape? But then in the 62nd minute, four minutes after Hearts have gone 2-0 up and four minutes before Eli Yuan makes it 2-1, we bring on Benny Benigami. Now, okay, I think subsequently we saw he's still way short of where he needs to be as far as fitness is concerned. So you're thinking, is it going to be Neuenhoff or is it going to be Devlin? To be I fair, mean, I, I, thought, thought, I thought Devlin because he's on the yellow. I like, mean, I thought yeah. that was the only logical thing I could think why we were you would, you would making think this so. up then. And, and by the way, while we're talking about this, I thought Neuenhoff at spells in that game was outstanding. I thought mm-hmm. that's that's the most composed. We've spoken a lot about bravery on this show and having um, a schutzbar, whatever you want to call it, to want the ball despite hellfire raining down from, from the stands, to be brave, to take the ball um, and and be brave with the ball. And I, I thought he was really good. I liked that combination with him and Kami. So I thought it was. It, it might be one of two things. It might either be Beningame for Devlin or maybe Boyce for Lowry. Um, I actually sent you a message saying Boyce on for, for Kami. And that was after the Beningame um, substitution because that was the stage where we went from a 4-2-3-1 to pretty much inviting them on yeah. Not so much as a 4-3-2-1 because they kind of played Devlin a little bit further Yeah, forward. pushed him a little bit up. And and to, to say that Lowry was tired, and, and look, he's probably not going to last 90. And again, if we don't concede, there's no discussion whatsoever about this. But I think the two substitutions that were made deserve the, the time that we're discussing them on this episode. I think it absolutely does. I mean, I couldn't, uh, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't work out why we'd shifted things when we were on top so much you know i can i can understand at certain points i don't know how you felt about this scott you know i could understand um you're under the cosh and you're like we need more defensive players on because we are just getting turned constantly the other side are breaking us down or even if it's you know we scored a second goal with five minutes to go Maybe I can then understand there's a lot of tired legs. They're literally going to bombard us for the end of the game. But we're an hour in. You know, we're two thirds of the way through the game. Maybe not even that, depending on how much out of time you end up getting in these matches. It it just felt a little bit. Um, the, the kind of decision that Robbie Nielsen would get crucified for. And I know Naismith is getting crucified as well, but the kind of thing that even if it didn't lead to something like what happened, you would just, the fans would very quickly be on the back of that kind of substitution. Yeah, I, this is a difficult one. So coming out of the game, my, my initial thought 
without seeing the game back, watching any highlights, was discussing on the bus with a couple of people and thinking, regardless of the, the goals that we lost after it, the decision to take Lowry off felt about 10 minutes premature. It felt yeah. like the type of change that you'd probably wait till maybe around the 70th minute and then maybe bring on either Grant or Boyce on from. Now, he didn't look shattered, did he? Yeah. I mean, and, and, and particularly when you score or have a big hand in the goal, you're thinking, will that give him a, 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 a you know a rush of adrenaline, so to speak? Yeah. Now, I need to be quite clear. I don't think bringing off Lowry itself directly leads to the two goals. You could probably say that of the two changes, the decision to switch Sibic into that central role has more of an impact than bringing Lowry off. So, in that respect, I'll give Stephen Naismith the benefit of the doubt. What I would say, though, is when I then uh, ran the game back and watched it again, I noticed that Beningame gets the call to the bench when Lowry's about to take that corner kick, which leads to the second goal. So, it was already a it's decision. Already in the offing. Okay. That was in the offing at 1-0, let alone 2-0. Now, whether it was going to be for Lowry or whether it was going to be for somebody else, I suppose only Stephen Naismith knows, but I'd be surprised if he changes his mind because that goal goes in. So it looks as if Lowry was going to be coming off even at 1-0, let alone 2-0. Now, where I can understand the frustration for the fans, and you've just touched on it there, eh, Laurie, is around sort of expectation and being told one thing and then seeing another. So I wanted to bring up this little snippet from an interview that Stephen Naismith had just as he was made interim boss back in April. So it says here, Irvin Bourne Naismith told Hearts TV in his first interview in the job, the supporters want a team that goes into every game trying to win it, not one that's going to defend and hold out for a draw or a 1-0 lead. I was like that as a player. I wanted to be on the front foot and enjoyed having the ball and creating opportunities. I want to play entertaining football. That's easy to say and harder to implement. Now, I understand game management is a huge part of football and I understand that even the most sort of swashbuckling sides tend to make changes where they'll either maybe shore up their defence or maybe make a tactical switch to try and see a game out. The problem that Stephen Naismith has just now, and, and, and this is a this is an incident on top of an ever-growing stack of evidence that's growing, you know, week by week or every couple of weeks at least, that this sort of bold, brash sort of Stephen Naismith that was coming out in the press back in April, we're not really getting that brand, you know, that we were kind of almost promised back yeah. then. And I think that tends to be more of a frustration than the the decision in isolation itself. Because I can understand, if you watch the game back, Hibs do actually start uh, playing and breaking the lines from that double yeah. pivot, that first I was 10 say, minutes. Yeah, so there, is that, there is that aspect to it, but I think the frustration, and again, this is why, you know, if somebody was to say to me, is your opinion of Stephen Naismith changed after the weekend? I would say no, and I would have even said no if we'd won, because for me, the concern with this Hearts team under Naismith is again the bread and butter football. Playing in a derby atmosphere or a cup atmosphere, we seem to adapt to that pretty well, and when it's going you know, uh, end-to-end, -end, we seem to be okay in that type of environment. 
The problem is dealing with this low block. And I, again, I'm not seeing enough from this team to suggest that that's an issue that we're going to hurdle anytime soon. So the decision on its own, completely sort of okay with it to a degree. I still think, you know, it's Civic making, you could probably say three errors over the two goals. Yeah. Uh, kind of lead to us drawn to the match rather than Beningi coming on. But again, I think that there's a there's a psychological aspect to it where Hearts fans are are very frustrated with being told one thing and seeing another. Mm. And that's not just a Naismith thing, that's Naismith on top of, you know, these bold statements that you're hearing when we're signing players or we're being told that Aberdeen and Hibs should be chasing us or, you know, we're never going to lose to Livingston again. I think, you know, certain individuals need to now analyse what they're saying and sort of try and help temper expectations because I think that's definitely a, a situation there where Naismith said something, albeit five or six months ago, but, you know, people have memories or at least access to Google. We can still find these things out. And it was funny you mentioned about Robbie Nielsen. At the time that that statement was made, that was very much interpreted as a, a bit of a dig at yeah. Robbie. And that was Scott. something that then led to the issues with Lee Johnson and that so, yeah, a few weeks later. So, so yeah, I think he hasn't done himself any favours there, but looking at the substitution in isolation, I can understand the reasons for it. But again, I can also understand why it's being analysed so much by the fans, mm. given the, the close proximity between that and then the two goals coming. What you've just said is very pertinent and... It's because of a, a, a tweet or a thread containing a few tweets that was posted uh, on the 7th. That would mean Saturday afternoon, um, just after 8 o'clock by Craig Fowler. I wanted to read it out to you. And it's there's a lot of similarities between what you've just said and, and what Craig has said as well. So here's what Craig put out on, uh, on Twitter. The thing that really pissed me off about today is that I keep looking back at Naismith's introductory press conference where he made a huge point about how Hearts and their fans deserved better in terms of style of play. We were, quote, too big a club to accept otherwise. This was clearly a dig at Nielsen, and it was easy enough for fans to lap it up, even as a big Robbie fan and, quote, apologist, I bought into it. The football was better to watch, but it's clear that these ideals were a load of guff. If Naismith believed what he said, you don't take an attacking midfielder off for a defensive midfielder at 2-0 up. You also don't bring everybody back for corners all the time. I don't think the Lowry sub cost Hearts two goals, and he may not have had much left in the tank to add anything once it went to 2-2. But the game today brought home the disingenuousness of Naismith and what he apparently stands for, brackets, or stood for. That sub was the kind of sub that, comma, as much as folk can roll their eyes about this, comma, wasn't the kind of sub a Hearts manager makes against Hibs at Tynecastle. He was unlucky today. The Kingsley injury was big, even though Rolls was great at left back because it disrupted a previously solid back four. But I cannot be the only Hearts fan who just cannot take to him because of what he said in April and what we see every week this season. On the surface, it would be daft if he lost his job because of three defeats in the next four, given the level of competition. But he needs at least two victories from the Celtic Rangers, Livy Rangers sequence for fans to properly trust him and get on side. Otherwise, things will get toxic. You two agree with that or disagree? I, I agree with the overall sentiment. I think, um, you know, again, we, we've we mentioned it before, you know, we were, our, our, our preferred option was not to go with Naismith 
when the job was up for grabs at the initial period and at the end of the season. Um, but the thing that I think when we looked at both sides of it, the thing that we looked at from the positive was, okay, he's shown in some matches a very positive and aggressive and entertaining um, brand of football. So even if he's rough around the edges, uh, if he's still raw, um, if he's given us that, fans will probably maybe give him a bit of leeway if there's the odd bit of naivety or the odd poor result because we are playing a brand of football. And I think they did that on a smaller scale with Daniel Stendhal. But if we're not getting that brand of football, then yeah, it feels like he's maybe missold what we're going to look at. If you're then not getting results as well, then what are you getting? Because, you know, the big problem with Robbie Nielsen, I think you, he got past the Hibs thing with his Hibs, with the record of the Derby the second time. On the most part, the big problem before the bad results came was everyone had lost their faith in his kind of brand of football. So when the bad results came, they were like, there's no leeway here because we've been shit to watch when we were getting results. We weren't convinced by their performances, but we were winning. Now that we're not even getting results, there's you know there's nowhere to hide here. We can't just say, well, we're still trying to play this game at brand of football. It'll come good again. So I guess that's my problem with it as well. And I've I've got my doubts and I always have had my doubts and I hope I get proven wrong. But I think that's pretty much what Scott was alluding to as well. So I'm going to guess he would be aligned with what Craig Fowler said. Yeah, 100%. Uh, and, and I wouldn't... I think it's fair to say I, I, I wouldn't class Craig Fowler as a as a knee jerk fan. Uh, no. I think Craig's you know been involved in the sport long enough to to take sort of measured approaches and sort of measured views of of what's going on. Even if there is the the emotion that comes with being a Hearts fan that that maybe he doesn't have sort of overriding his analysis of any other team. Uh, but I think he's pretty spot on there. And again, it's a situation that Stephen Naismith has talked himself into. So this isn't you know. What, I get that people will want to defend them and they'll want to defend the, the decision, but we keep going back to it. And and until there's a a real significant upturn, then it'll it, you know it'll keep rearing its head. And when when I say significant upturn, I'm not I'm not silly enough to sort of come out and say that we we need results in the next three weeks to uh, to, to sort of show that things have turned a corner. Uh, again, I'm going back to the games that we should be looking to win. You know, at, at present, our home form is an average of 1.25 points against non-old firm teams. Now, over the last two seasons, it's been more than double that. So if we can't fix our away form and our home form drops in half, where are we going to end at the end of the yeah, season? Not We're going to end in bottom six. Yeah. So I'm, I'm afraid that's the reality of it. Regardless of your personal views of Naismith, I've got nothing personal against Stephen Naismith, but, but ultimately, on the evidence so far over what's now been about six months, if you take the interim position and uh, into consideration, it isn't working. Uh, and, and just now... That's the only reality we have. That's the only fact we have. You know, I, I yeah. don't think that's a a subjective view. I think that that you know that people all say, well, we're fourth. Yeah, we're fourth because everyone's slitting each other's throats. We're also four points off your second bottom with a double header against the old firm. So come back and see me in a mum's time. Right, I, I am going to round off things, but we can't round off without getting to the goals. Before that, very quickly, uh, David Douglas sent us an email. He said, 
which kind of echoes a lot of what we've spoken about. He says, despite playing better in the first half than we have against Hibs in a long time, we threw it away. When Kingsley went off injured rather than upset the whole back line, Halliday could have slipped in at left back. We moved Sibic, who was playing reasonably well, to a position where he struggles. Madness. Then we have Hibs on the floor. We go defensive with our changes, which allows them to get on our suspect defence with the inevitable outcome. We should have kept going as we were. If Lowry had to come off, Grant would have been a better choice. I agree with that. Um, Naismith has done well last two games with his subs, but not this time. Cheers, Davey. Um, but getting on to the goal, so I'm going to go through both of these. So 66 minute Hearts, you know, getting pushed very deep at this point. Beningame can't really clear properly at the edge of the box. It comes back into Dylan Vente, who tries to lay it off. It ends up kind of flicking off Sibic's heel. It's not the best, but it's it's not entirely his fault with this one, the way it happens. It goes through his legs and it falls kindly to, to Ellie Yuan, who makes no mistake from 10 yards. Now, the ball hits the net 65 minutes and 50 seconds. Um, the game restarts almost a minute later, though. It's a brief offside check after the celebrations and everything sorted. So, Hearts kick off. Civic launches out of play. Hibbs immediately back in possession. So, Hibbs are getting forward. Ellie Yuan's running at the, Hibs def- the Hearts defence on the right wing 20 seconds after we've had possession with kickoff. Boyle cuts it into the area. It's a dreadful clearance by Toby Civic. I mean, I, I don't know what he's trying to do with this one. Um, Ellie Yuan continues to run at the box, slots at home well, 2 2. Now, the ball hits the net 67 minutes and 13 seconds. So it's 1 minute 23 after the first goal. As I mentioned earlier, the 83 seconds we've talked about. But the bigger thing for me here is it's 23 seconds after we're in possession at the restart. Now, I don't know about you two guys. This is one thing. So we can talk about the changes for the goal, for the after the second goal that maybe made us more defensive. Now, this is maybe a player thing. So this is maybe not an instruction but for me so a manager and maybe he has and someone's just ignored him so you you have been 2-0 up you're in control of the game 2-1 this is when a game is very open this is when teams are vulnerable there's a goal has gone in suddenly the whole complexion has changed for me what should happen here is someone goes right guys just calm it down again they've only we're still winning here we're still winning we've been in control don't worry about this what we need to do Get the game started and let's get back in our groove. Get possession back in again. Cool things down. You know, they've got a bit of buzz just now. When, when are a team most likely to try and get another goal? Just after they've scored. Their fans are buzzing. Their adrenaline's pumping. They suddenly have belief. For me, to restart the game and smash the ball straight out of play, do you know what it reminded me of, Mark? And I think you might know. It was in a derby. Yeah, and it was yeah, I was so thinking the same thing. I was going to come up with this because it, it, it's, mm-hmm. it's it's and I would have been mad, mad as a Hibs fan of that yep. game. The four four game, Hearts get one goal back, but the Hibs are still winning and it's out of yeah. time. Just mm-hmm. cool the game down, but instead they just smash the ball up the field. How long was left? There was in that one. There was what seconds? Thirty was a minute left. Was a minute, minute left. left. Um, <laughs> yes, your famous line, of course. But do, do, that frustrated me a lot as well even more so when I watched the game back Mm -hmm. because I was like, how quick was that again? And I watched the game back and it really annoyed me because I I couldn't remember off the top of my head how we started kickoff and how they got possession again. So I re-watched that and I was like, we just took centre, passed it back the way and then smashed it out of play. Yeah, but do you know what else it did? And I'm glad you brought this up. What else did it do? You've got an away support behind the goal that are bouncing, right? Because they're 2-0 down. They're thinking, Jesus, another trip to Tyne Castle. We've not had many success stories here. But remember, they were 2-0 down, were they not, in mm-hmm. the Scottish Cup tie? 
Yeah, yeah, we, yeah, we don't like to talk about that one, but yeah. Do you remember they were 2-0 down? Andy Walker, I think, got a couple of goals. It's happened before. So you've got them on a high because their team has just scored. If you also, never mind the football, listen to the noise from the Hibs fans when Civic does what you've just said he did. Yeah, big, big, ironic Massive. cheer. Of course, it was just like a... They, we've we've got them. They're on the ropes here. Yeah, let's and the Hibs players would be thinking that as well. One hundred percent. Look at what they've just done. It was like exactly. The, it's like in the cup final as well. And do you remember Ryan says this when fair enough we're three one up and they're down a man, but he said when Hibs took centre and Gary O'Connor shot from the halfway line. Ryan said they just looked at each other, and went they're gone. They're they are done. absolutely gone. Yeah, they don't. So, so where's the leadership on the pitch? It, I, I haven't. I don't know what what Shanklin's up to. Uh, once the goal goes in, I don't. Know, I, I mean, imagine that he's trying to g the players up and 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 whatever. But you've got time while there's and it wasn't like a huge celebration, right? They're two one down. They're still a goal down. They're not all yeah. kind of signing autographs and taking selfies with with Hibs fans and all that BS. So they want to get the game restarted because they've got the bit between their teeth. But like I said, there was a minute. It was a minute because yeah, it was exactly. a side checks. Time so, for someone to. To get exactly whether it's Shankland or whether it's Ke- whoever it is, or clearly there wasn't, but under no circumstances, what is Toby Civic thinking? And yes, he was involved, and I think Scott said there was like three errors that he made for two goals. That was one. He's made one for the goal. He's then kicked it out. And where's his head at right now? So this is this also is is someone to say to him, someone to to notice that. And it probably has to come from someone on the pitch, bearing in mind um, where he is at this stage and, and where he's playing. It's difficult in the din to get a, a kind of uh, a, a message on. So he's got enough teammates for someone, whether it's Andrew Clark, Frankie Kent, whoever, to say, come on, head screwed, what the fuck are you doing? Let's let's be better. Let's keep possession. Just calm it down a little bit. But honestly, it was like a cat on a hot tin roof with that equaliser. Yes. Uh, but that's I guess that's what I mean is that you don't know, you know, has he been told right from kickoff we're going long diagonal again, we're getting oh, into has, the who, corner. Who's told him that? No, exactly. You don't know, but what I mean is I still feel like someone somewhere in the management of that game, whether it's the manager, whether it's the captain, you know, there needs to be some you know, as a team, someone needs to go, right guys, let's just calm it down. 100%. Let's take the sting out of things again, get our control back. Because you know what ha- when 100%. what happens if you lose that sort of, you you kind of lose that momentum if you know they've got that buzz for a bit. If we kill the game for a bit and start controlling it, and suddenly their celebrations eventually die down, that adrenaline dies down, and you can start to get a grip on things again. But that that was the period that annoyed me as well. I mean, we're not going to analyze much of the rest of the game because you know Hearts did kind of end in the ascendancy, but it wasn't like there was chance after chance. I know they hit the crossbar, but I think Max Boric when he came on didn't have a kind of big save to make even if that one could have easily come in off, off a deflection um, and we end 2-2 and it's unfortunate because it's a game where on the most part Hearts played pretty well first half they were good got 2-0 ahead but it ultimately doesn't matter I think it, it, maybe not it matters to a degree but what fans will remember is the result and one thing also annoys me and it, it, you see people mocking celebrating a draw and stuff and like look if your team's 2-0 down and you come back and draw 2-2, especially in a derby, you celebrate. Hearts would do the same. You know, we've celebrated a late draw when 
Is Turk scored? We're down at 10 men, we still rode. 4 4, of course. If you score late or you come from behind like that, you celebrate a draw. I mean, that's why it's, it's a derby, it's a massive game. So uh, it's just one of those. It does feel like a defeat, and it and it should, because we were in a position where we shouldn't have been dropping any points. So I think that's why, although they're positives, and we hope we can build on those positives, we've talked about them, you know, the Lowry, um, Ewenhoff's performance in terms of what he brought to the game, Forrest again, lots of positives there, but we need to start getting that combination of performances and positive elements and results, I think, and we need to get it quickly. Stephen Naismith said after the game, the results have shown that our performances have been better over the last couple of weeks. Things that have been levelled at the squad in the past about being soft and not managing to stay in games. We have proved them wrong with the Kilmarnock result and Ross County result. On Saturday, we were the better team. I don't think anybody could watch that game and say we weren't the better team. So there's definitely progress. However, you need to be honest. It's literally bad decision-making and poor defending that's cost us. We weren't ripped open or hanging on for dear life because of some great play. We conceded two goals from our poor play. For me, that's it in a nutshell. End quote. Okay, we're going to move on. Um, scarves are in the funnel, which is brought to you by Forrest Hepburn and McDonald Signs, who have been offering creative sign and print solutions since, since the, 19 the 1950s. 1950s. Now, we've not got as much time as I'd planned to go oh, into this one, but we're going to get... Give it, give it more time. We're going to get through some of these. So we're, we spoke about sliding doors moments. So this is the moments that we're talking about. That what if? So what if that goal didn't go in or that? potential chance did go in that penalty was scored or was missed or that game went against hearts or went for hearts or we signed that player or we didn't sign that player how would history have looked so we'll have a little bit of fun with this so i, I i'm going to put mine forward first i kind of mentioned it before and i'll go to twitter and i think some people have also went with this one so i'm going to take us back to hearts against ike athens in 2006 mm-hmm. this is hearts in the Champions League for the first time, albeit not the Champions League proper, but uh, a chance uh, to get into the group stages this game offered them against the Greek side. Now, we know what happened. They're 1-0 one, one up at Murrayfield. We're all in dreamland. You know, we're a, a game and a bit away from the the group stages and £10 million, which is more um, than what £10 million is worth in football these days. I know you get more as well on top in the Champions League, but Bruno Aguiar gets a uh, a second yellow for throwing the ball away. He's sent off and Hearts concede two goals late on. They lose the first leg 2-1. Uh, and eventually, after a couple of red cards in Greece, they capitulate with three late goals. They do lose 5-1 in aggregate. But what if Bruno Aguiar does not do that? Doesn't get, it doesn't get sent off. Hearts have 11 men and they manage to hold out. So they win 1-0 at Murrayfield. They don't lose 2-1. They've got a lead. They take that to Greece. Bruno Aguiar is unavailable. So maybe Brelli doesn't even play. Brelli is the first player to get sent off in the first 30 minutes. They don't have to chase anything. Hearts make it difficult for the Greek side. It ends nil-nil and Hearts go through to the Champions League group stages. £10 million plus, plus the interest you get on top of that with obviously the TV money and the, the money from having these big games. So Ike Athens drew, drew Milan, Lille and Anderlecht in the group stages. So let's put Hearts in there. Um, the Greek side were unbeaten at home. They beat Lille, they drew with Anderlecht, and they also defeated AC Milan, who would actually go on to win the competition. So just imagine 
Hearts in that game. It's it's at Murrayfield. That's where we're playing this time. So almost seventy thousand at Murrayfield. Hearts against a side with Maldini, Costa Curta, Perlo, Sedorf, Kaka, and Zaghi. They all played in that game that Athens beat them. Incidentally, Hearts win one nil. Let's say it's Bruno Aguiar with a free kick. I know so, Jimmy Moore. Why not Jimmy Moore? For the sake of this, then it could be anyone. Um, <laughs> Hearts. Yeah, they, they do. They do as well as Ike Athens. They finish third. They don't make it to the knockout, but they reach the UEFA Cup knock, uh, knockouts for finishing third in the group. They're playing European football after Christmas. They've got all this money in the bank now. They use it to really strengthen the team in January, um, seriously strengthened. So they managed to then finish in the top two again. Let's just say why not? They get to the quarterfinals of the UEFA Cup, S- same as they got before when they played Bayern that time. Um, it starts a period of the top three in Scotland. So Hearts are up there with Rangers and Celtic. They're not winning the league for these first few years, but they're building and they've got this finance behind them. Again, they were finishing second, so they got some more group stage football and group stage money. Culminate in the first league winner outside of Glasgow since the early 80s when Hearts win the... It was still a Premier League then? Or was the Premier No, it was the Premiership by them in 2012. And they make it a double by beating Hibs in the Scottish Cup final a week later. 6-1. Because they're slightly better. Six, six, six one. Wow. There you wow. go. Oh. Sliding doors. It's all about. Basically, I've just put it into Bruno Aguiar's silly yellow card. Yeah, I thought you were going to end it after that. I didn't expect you to. Go no, no. That 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 was the moment when uh, Gwyneth Paltrow um, doesn't get on the train or does. Can't remember. I've not seen sliding doors for many years. I can't remember which way around it was. I am going to offer you a top three in less time than you took to offer me one. Um, num- number three, the obvious one's Dundee <laughs> Hearts and Bill Crombie. And, uh, he was yep. there, big Hearts fan. David Symes should have been the ref, wasn't well. Sandy Clark was fouled by Colin Hendry, should have been a penalty, wasn't. I'm not going there. I am going to the game the week before. Hearts Clyde Bank. Hearts won 1-0, Gary Mackay, but Clyde Bank ended up with a goal difference of minus 77 that season. Hearts should have won, on paper, 5 or 6, but it was like, just get the points. That's how it turned out to be. It was a nervy day, I remember it. I remember the week before against Aberdeen, um, when John Cahoon scored with, what, three minutes to go? We got a point out of that. Um, that. That was a tough one. They were a good side back then, but Clyde Bank were shite. We only won one nil. So that's number three. Number two, back to John Cahoon, the chance in Germany. Bayern Munich, we win that. We get the away goal. They don't get a third goal. We go through on away goals. Uh, we take the piss out of Maradona at Tynecastle, rub it in in Naples, um, go through, beat Stuttgart home and away. Cahoon gets the winner, blah, blah, blah. So we win the UEFA Cup in 1988 89. <laughs> that's number two. Number one, I'm going to take you back to the Herald newspaper. At the time, it was the Glasgow Herald. 14th of June, 1990. Rapallo, Thursday. Wallace Mercer, already embroiled in controversy over his outrageously bold plan to buy Hibernian and merge them (laughs) with his own club, Hearts, is poised to strike again. Mercer intends to make Manchester United manager Alex Ferguson an offer he cannot refuse. A move to bring Ferguson back to Scotland could be made as early as next week. And if he were to accept the position of general manager of Hearts, he would earn almost £1 over the next four years. Mercer's desire to attract 
Ferguson is further proof of his intention not to be left behind when the changes which are coming football's way gather momentum. He's one of the few people in the game who realise the stakes are about to be increased dramatically and he wants his team to be ready to take advantage. The deal which will be offered to Ferguson would be for four years and there would be a signing on fee of £100,000. Ferguson's basic annual salary would then be £130,000 plus a bonus of £70,000 depending on whether or not certain targets were achieved. Also, finally, Ferguson would be given shares in the club and offered a directorship. He would have full responsibilities for all matters relating to the football side of the organisation and if, after two years, it was discovered that he was not the man for the job and the club needed someone with a different approach, Ferguson would walk away with a payoff of £200,000. There you go. Yeah, Jimmy M also said um, for a sliding doors, apparently we were in talks with Ferguson when he was struggling at Man United. Um, I'll get Scott in just a moment. Let's just grab a few from Twitter. Um, uh, Ragnar sent us a, an image of Gretna one-on-one with Craig Gordon and said, what if Robbie hadn't Robbie slid in? Embarrassing. Um, Graham says the Coca-Cola can Cup I, final. Can I bring up that one about the, about the tackle? Now, does yeah. the tackle not happen? It's 1-0 hearts. It is still 1-0 hearts. I, I thought you might be pernicky about that, Scott. Yeah. I, I <laughs> say, no, to, no, no, to be fair to the guy that's t- tweeted in, he's in the majority. I hear this one all the time, and it's not to take away from the tackle, but, but we can see it doesn't really change it. the match to the degree that I think some fans think it does. What a sp- what a spoil sport. What a spoil sport you are. Sorry, um, sorry, I know. <laughs> no, that's fine. It's usually market. You put pressure on yourself now for your sliding doors moments. I know. Graham was Coca-Cola Cup final. If Robo isn't fouled in the build-up to Rangers going 3-2 up, then who knows how the game ends as we had the momentum. You know who the and, assist, by the way, do you know who the um, linesman was that day? Didn't give the foul. Uh, I can't remember. He went, on, before. went on to become a referee. Alan Freeland. Okay. Blatant, blatant fun. Blatant yeah, fun. That's a good one. That's a good. That was that game was nearly off because of snow. Yeah. Here's here's the one that everyone would have probably thought of. This is from uh, Hearts Heritage. It says the first one that springs to mind was the 1895 Scottish Cup semi final <laughs> against St Bernards. Hearts losing one nil after nil nil draw. If Hearts had won the cup that year, they would have been the first Scottish club to do the double. Hearts played St Bernards. Um, Another four times that season, winning 3-0, 5-0, 7-3 and 6-0. St. Bernard's uh, beating Renton 2-1 in the Scottish Cup final. So, yeah, that that's the, the obvious sliding doors one, of course. Um, um, by, 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 the, by the way, you could swap around Kilmarnock's title win and Celtic's title win, both at the expense of Hearts. If the other one was goal average and the other one yep, was goal yeah, average, we'd have won yeah. them both. Yep. Um, Chungster says Takis Fisas red card against Celtic at Tynecastle. Yeah. Um, Graham also mentioned the 89 um, UEFA Cup second leg against Bayern and the Petrich miss against Stuttgart in mm-hmm. 2000. Um, Mark Wells mentioned it should have been a foul on Robber before Gaza scored that goal. Um, Grant Haddon says, What if Burley hadn't have left? Or I have my no doubt that we would have come closer if not won the league that year. I'm surprised how many more people said that. 
about yeah, I, I thought one. that might be the I thought that might be the big one. Uh, obviously, Dens Park gets a big mention from many people. Sure. Connor Radish says Dens Park May 80, 1986 referee gives that penalty. Robbo slots it past Bobby Geddes. Hearts get at least a point, win the league, and on a wave of euphoria, pump Aberdeen at Hamden to win the double. And Man United decide against going for Fergie. So th- there's the knock on. This is like this is like butterfly yeah. effect as well. Now, isn't it? This isn't just sliding doors. Wow. This is how these little things have a ripple effect. To the rest of world football, God, this I like that. So we've had sliding doors. The next one will be butterfly effect. The the <laughs> ripples and the impact that these small things involving hearts have on world football. Um, John Smith says Maloney's dive on the first of January uh, two thousand and six. Uh, Matthew Leslie mentioned Dens eighty six. Of course, I'm seeing if we've got any different ones. Um, uh, Stuart French Scottish Cup final 1-0 up and Celtic awarded a penalty for Edward falling over his feet absolute disgrace yeah it could have been Craig Levine could have finally won a trophy and how they weren't great that year were they we had that no horrible Um, John Gillen says the sale of Dave Mackay to Spurs and how many more trophies we would have won if we kept one of the best midfielders around Mm. um couple of signing ones which I quite like Willie Jameson's left foot says if that one million bid for McCulloch had been accepted or mm. I wonder if, I don't know where Scott's going yet but this is one that I always tempted to go with or if we could have found the million pounds for Ricardo Fuller where we're we not leaving Scott with much are we <laughs> you're kind of no it's fine I've got two that I've, oh I've yeah two okay well let's hand over Scott what, what are, okay. what are your sliding door moments so one of them is a, a transfer that didn't happen for us and I think hindered us in the long term. And the other one is one where we actually managed to nick a player from our, our closest rivals. So I'll, I'll go with the sort of negative one first. Uh, 1968, uh, Dave McKay's duty come back to Hutch and Brian Clough decides ah, to yeah. in at the last minute and bring up your derby. I've, now, although... It's we get mentioned in the Damned United, oh, sorry. It? It's another nine years before we're relegated to that point. But to be fair, from the late 60s into the early 70s, there was a huge period of sort of mediocrity and we almost kind of slept walked into the position we found ourselves in as a club a few years later. Uh, the positive one, March 1997, Hibs bring a Frenchman over on trial, Tista Road. He impresses. They've got plans to get him on a pre-contract, but Hearts nip in and get him instead, and that was Stefan Adam. Mm-hmm. Mm. I thought you were going to go down the John Robertson route. No, I, I, to be fair, that's a really good one, actually. <laughs> uh, but those were the two that I was thinking of, because I, I was thinking he sort of transfers as well. Neil McCann was 24 hours for going to Austria. We sort of nipped in and got him at the last minute. There's quite a few sort of signings like that in the in the 90s. I think Hibs were linked with Jim Hamilton as well before we got him. So there's quite, quite a few Andy Driver's there. still in the car park at Tynecastle waiting on the call from Burnley. <laughs> I love, I love all this what's if and, and there's also when you look at it the other way um, the penalty that we got against Celtic which I don't think to this day was was ever a penalty but it certainly made up for all the times we should have had or they got one at the, that was the, the Craig Beattie penalty the, the handball it was, that, that yeah. should never have been given um, the Jamie Hamill one was that not soft at St Johnston late on when we eventually yeah, got yeah, not- so dived that was soft as well. No, you're, you're yeah. spot on with those. Yeah, and the, you can talk about the 98 Cup final as well. That you know, mm-hmm. The penalty we got early on is never a penalty. The Jordan Foster goal that got really uh, wrongly disallowed for offside in the relegation derby. Yeah. 
Yeah. That point would have kept Hibs up and it would have relegated us on that day. Oh, God, yeah. Oh, and they ended up what, going down on penalties against Hamilton. Yeah. Yes. Um, uh, quickly go through some others. Willie Jamison's left foot also says, what would have happened if Neville Scala had learned English? Uh, <laughs> always like with that. <laughs> I love that. Speaking I, from his, it was either, it was always the Evening News Hearts reporter, usually Barry or whoever it was, speaking from his farm in Padova. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Reginald Raymond Grant says, I sometimes wonder what it would have been like if Romanov never came in. He deserves a lot of criticism for nearly putting us out of business and making very odd choices. But if it weren't for Romanov, I think we'd be a very, very different club now. I feel like that's one that needs a, that could be an episode in itself. What would have happened with that sliding doors moment? What would have happened when, if Mercer was successful? Yeah, yeah, there is Merging that. the two. What would have happened if Robinson was successful in taking us to Murrayfield and and selling to mm-hmm. Calla Holmes? Yes, there are many. Henry Smith isn't fouled and doesn't drop the ball at the end of the 88 semi-final against Celtic. Yep. Says Aldo, we win the cup that year. We The monkeys off our back and we never lose to Airdrie in the 90s and become serial <laughs> cup winners. Um, Darren Ross also said the Ike Athens against Champions League. Um, Ike Athens in the Champions League would have been a big... Uh, big one. Flitch mentioned if Craig Levine hadn't suffered a bad knee injury in that reserve game against Hibs in 86, would he have left oh, Hearts or Spurs or Man United? So basically saying mm-hmm. how, how good he could have been. Yeah. Um, George Burley in capital letters, says Mark Butler. Um, how how good the COVID party at Tynecastle would have been if Whiten and Kingsley had made an arse of it a few years back in that shootout. And Oh God, yeah. Do you know, uh, that's probably what I'll end on. Uh, that game is probably the most most gutted I've been at a Hearts game. That cup Which one's final. that? The COVID final. I was one of the few people actually at, because obviously oh, yeah, most people yeah. were at home. Just because, you know, I'd seen Hearts lose big games and I'd seen us get relegated. Um, not in like a, but a relegation was, it wasn't a kind of final day heartache. You know, you get put down. You know, the way we went down was different. It was kind of a feeling of solidarity and us coming into a positive almost when we went down. It wasn't like, you know, when you see the fans in tears because they get relegated on the final day or whatever. And I'd seen us lose games. The St. Miriam one was a hard one to take, but we were poor and we were trailing in that game. So we were kind of chasing it. You know, when we got the goal back, there was a little bit of hope, but it wasn't like this game where we were so close. We were leading in the penalty shootout and then to go and lose it. Mm. And I think because everything was so miserable as well, it's added to it. Like I was, most people were in the South stand, but they put uh, Jimmy and I in the North stand and they could only find a position for us in the top tier, which is, which is very real. There's no one really in there. It's got a top bit to it. Um, And we were just mean, it was just, it's just the two of us up there on our own watching Celtic celebrate and it was just really eerie there was no kind of there wasn't as much people around you to kind of have a group consoling session so that is a big one yeah that was that's the most gutted I've been I think at a Hearts game in my life what if Ryan McGowan had stopped Luis Suarez from scoring and then scored the winner himself (laughs) in extra time at Anfield oh wait we could we could open up so many more avenues with us but I think there's been a there's been a good bit of coverage there I think I've, I've I've enjoyed that I've enjoyed it okay that probably brings us to the end of this week's episode of Scarves Around the Funnel normally at this point I'd throw in um some predictions but we don't have a Hearts game coming up. 
So, yeah, there's there, there's not really much else to add. It's a it's a international weekend. Is that a good thing or a bad thing right now? I don't know. It'll be a good thing if um, Spain avoid defeat against Norway. That means Scotland have qualified for the Euros. But you're not really a big international guy, so you don't really care. Scott, are you? Are you a big Scotland fan, a big Tartan Army member? I have to say no, but I'm always really happy for all my friends that are if they get a result. So uh, I'm, ho- I'm hoping to do it for them. But yeah, I can't claim to, to be a, a huge fan, even although I tend to watch them when they're, when they're on. Uh, and they're doing well just now, but yeah, uh, hearts, hearts are enough heartache for me. <laughs> I quite enjoy the international <laughs> breaks, if I'm being honest. A double dose of misery, come on now. <laughs> well, yeah. We'll be, we'll be back next time. If anyone can think of some homework off the top of their head, then feel free to put it out there. I was thinking after the sliding the sliding doors, you can have the butterfly effect, but that's probably getting a bit too um, a bit too complex. Probably have similar scenarios. But um, if you want to get in touch with us to give us anything to talk about next time, then feel free. You can email podcast at scarvesaroundthefunnel.co.uk or you can tweet us at around the funnel we will be back next week we will be previewing the celtic game of course and maybe we'll be able to throw a wee guest in there as well so keep an eye on the twitter feed for any updates on that but till next time thanks for tuning in you look so ridiculous now i'm sorry mama i never meant to hurt you i never meant to make you cry but tonight i'm cleaning out my closet one more time Said I'm sorry mama I never meant to hurt you I never meant to make you cry But tonight I'm cleaning out my closet I got some skeletons in my closet And I don't know if no one knows it So before they throw me inside my coffin And close it, I'ma expose it I'll take you back